Well, good morning. My name is Tripp. I get to talk to you about Jesus today. That's a good morning. Because he is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Brad said this already, but we are here today, and really every day, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Because the good news is that we do not worship a dead man's philosophies. We do not worship a dead man's ideas. We do not worship or just follow some dead man's example. Just like every other religion in the world, we actually get to worship a risen Savior who defeated death, who reigns for all eternity, and gives us hope, gives us strength, not just in the future, but right now in the present. Amen, right? Like, He has risen. He's risen indeed. So, we're going to talk about that today. And you may not believe that, um, but it's true. Um, and uh, hopefully, uh, it does become true for you if you don't believe that. And I want to go back and just kind of relive and retell the reality of that first Easter morning. And so, if you have your Bibles, you can open to Luke chapter 23. And I'm going to read the account of the story, and we're going to kind of pick up in the story where Jesus is actually still um, on the cross, and we're going to read through um, what happens after that. So Luke 23, um, starting in verse 44, and we'll read together. It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all who, those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to the decision and the action. He came from a Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw this tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men, enclosed gleaming like lightning, stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Amen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. Be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Amen. And they remembered his words. 
When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. And bending over, he saw the stripes of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Our Father, we thank you that we get to celebrate Jesus this morning. That we get to experience and tell your story. Father, we thank you that you give new life. And that because of the resurrection, we now have hope. And we know that there is life when there was none. Father, we pray that your spirit would guide our time, that your spirit would remind us of your truth, that your spirit would convict our lives um, in areas that we're not living in light of your, your resurrection. Father, we thank you that we get to talk about Jesus today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the good news is that Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He did wonderful miracles. He was loved by people. In many ways, he, he blew away any category that we thought of. But nonetheless, he was crucified. And he was crucified as a common criminal. And Jesus was dead. He was completely dead. He was buried. There was a big stone rolled against his tomb. The Pharisees, they asked Pilate, to seal the stone, and to guard the tomb. There were armed guards posted. Pilate had said to them, make it as secure as you can. And so that's what they did. They had done their best to keep Jesus' words from coming true. They killed him. They put him in a guarded tomb so no one could break in, so no one could pretend that he was alive. They had given it their best shot. But it was all in vain. Because Jesus rose from the dead. And for the next 40 days, Jesus walks around and he gives infallible truths that he was alive. And he's teaching people and people recognize who he is. The believers who saw Jesus, the risen Jesus, with their own eyes, they touched him. They put their hands into his side. They spent time with him. They spent the rest of their lives talking about the resurrection. For sure, know this, they talked and they preached crucifixion. But the message of the cross is not the most controversial thing they had to say. It was his death. It was not his death, but his resurrection that was controversial. People were persecuted and people were martyred, not because what they said about his death, because what they said, what happened next. You see, if you read the book of Acts, you'll find that the sermons in Acts are filled with the resurrection. They show over and over and over again what it meant for for those who actually follow Christ. Almost no one debates that Jesus died. But the Jews and the people at that time violently refused to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I want to say people have still been refusing that ever since. Even yesterday, I was listening to talk radio, um, the news channel. I was trying to figure out what was going on with the traffic so I could figure out how to get back from Malibu. And I know, it's crazy, right? Um, and they came on, and they were reporting a bunch of things, and, and they reported, well, tomorrow is Easter. And they just said, well, 
Um, it's a day when Christians believe um, that they say that Jesus rose from the dead. And I was like, yes, that's what we believe. But you are just saying it like it's just something is a myth. Nothing has changed. The leaders of the people in that time gave it their best shot. They gave their best shot to silence Jesus, to keep him down, but it was hopeless. They tried. It was hopeless then, and I want to say it's hopeless today, and it will always be hopeless. Try as you may, people can't keep Jesus down. They can't. They cannot keep him buried. Maybe for a season, people think they can hold him at bay, that the tomb is finally sealed, but it never works. Jesus breaks out. You see, they tried with physical force. They tried with scorn. They tried with political pressure to keep Jesus dead so that they wouldn't have to deal with the reality of what he was saying. And not much has changed. It's the same people today who want Jesus dead. We want Jesus in a tomb so we don't have to change, so we don't have to think about what he wants to do and how he wants us to live our lives. As I was thinking about that this week, um, some of the times what we do here in our gathering is we, we actually throw out a question for you guys to, to think about and interact. And I, I want to kind of ask this question this morning. What are some ways that, that we ourselves or, or our culture tries to keep Jesus down, tries to put Jesus back in the tomb? What are some things? They deny him. Okay? They say he was just a good man. He wasn't actually the son of God. What else? Say again? Christians believe, believe, yes. Christians believe that. Just saying that that's really not true. Yeah. What else? What are some ways that we ourselves or our culture tries to, to keep Jesus down? Commercializing Easter. Yeah, it's all about the Easter bunny. Yeah. It's hard to say that all religions are the same. All religions are the same. I can find my way to God. That's not what Jesus in the tomb says. Just so you know. I was on the phone with a friend of mine last night. He doesn't go to church because he thinks that the Catholic Church is because of all the scandals and everything else. And because of that, he's not receiving the word of God. Yeah, we look at the brokenness of humans who call themselves Christians or do things in the name of Jesus, and then we assume that that's what he's about. And then we deny him because of that. Yeah, good. What else? We edit his teachings. Yeah, I only want some of this and some of that because if I actually listen to all of those, then I I can't do that. Yeah, I just want some parts of it. Yeah, good. Yeah, we get caught up in rituals rather than them worship of Jesus. Yeah, what else? We refuse to believe that we actually need a Savior. Yeah, I can save myself. I'm good enough. I can do this, whatever. 
yeah. think going along with that, even though I know Jesus, I find it very difficult sometimes to repent and to admit I'm wrong. And in that way, I deny the resurrection power. Yeah, for sure. We don't like to admit our need of Jesus, do we? Yeah, he can fix some of these things, but this is way too broken for Jesus to fix. He's not that powerful. We deny his power. Yeah, good. And we tend not to live in life. Yeah. We tend to just think, oh, well, that was something that happened in the past, rather than it's actual reality for us every day. Yeah. We say no to him because we say yes to other things. Yeah, we say no to him and say yes to other things. We put him back in the tomb often, don't we? I, I think, too, a lot of times disappointment and things didn't work out how we liked, then Jesus must not really care about me that much because my life turned out differently than I thought. Mm. Yeah. Limiting Jesus to Sunday? Yeah. Jesus is just good for Sunday for an hour or so, an hour and a half if you come here, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we put, the, we put the lens of Jesus in the tomb on when we're walking around, and then every once in a while we put the lens of Jesus walking outside the tomb. Yeah, good. Yeah. I think as we think about all these things, as we, we can continue, but these things are, are just like what we saw here in the story, where, where it seemed like all was lost, where it looked like everything Jesus had said was actually foolishness that it wasn't any good. You see, but the good news of Easter is that no one can keep him down because no one actually ever knocked him down. Jesus actually laid himself down on his own accord. And Jesus did it when he was good and ready. In John 10, 18, it says this. Jesus is talking about what's going to happen and he says, no one takes it from me. He's talking about his life. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father. You see, the reality is that Jesus can break out of the tomb because he was not forced into it. He let himself be, be labeled and harassed and, and blackballed and scorned and shoved and beaten and killed. Why? Because Jesus loves and desires to work in the darkest places. When it looked like he was buried for good, Jesus is doing something amazing in the dark. You see, Jesus is, is, is like a seed being planted in the ground, in the darkness. Mark 4, 26 says it this way, The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter the seed on the ground. He steps and rises in the night and the day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. I want to say for many people in this city, for many people in this world, in our culture, they think Jesus is done. They think that he's out of the way. They think that his words are buried for good in the dust of irrelevant antiquity. I can't even say that word. Um, but the good news is that Jesus is still at work in the dark places. 
Jesus lets himself be buried so that he will come out with power. And where he rises, he does it where he wants to do, where he pleases, and he puts his hands in. And when he rises, fruit comes out that he made in the dark. If you think about this, there's so many examples, but China is is a prime example of this. For 40 years, China was closed to missionaries. It was illegal for people to talk about Jesus. Um, It wasn't because Jesus, like, just slipped and fell into the tomb or he forgot about China. Jesus was actually stepping into it. And when China seemed like it was sealed off and was closed off, Jesus was at work. And at his time, he pushed away the stone so we could all see what he had done. And what did we find? Over 50 million Chinese people had come to Jesus in a dark place. For the past 20 centuries, the world has given it their best shot to put Jesus and keep him in the grave, and it's all been for vain. They cannot bury him. They cannot hold him. They cannot silence him. They cannot limit him because he has risen. Jesus is alive, and he is utterly free to come and go wherever he pleases. And it all started on that first Easter morning when he defeated death and he walked out of the tomb. You see, the good news of Easter is that everything has changed. The resurrection vindicates Good Friday. It wouldn't be a Good Friday if there wasn't the resurrection. The good news is that his death did actually now really cover the sins of people. Paul puts it this way, In 1 Corinthians 15, he said, If Christ was not risen, we are still in our sins. We're still in our sins. You see, the implication of the resurrection is that if he has raised, then our sin problem is now over. That his death really did cover the sins of people. That it really did provide righteousness for us. That just as our sins were bought on the cross, the finished work of taking care of our sins was done at the resurrection as he came out of the grave. Basically, you can think about it this way. God looked down and he said, my son's work is perfect. He's not staying in the grave anymore. And he raises him up from the dead and he vindicates all that he's accomplished for us. You see, the promise of God to remove my sin and your sin and to help us every minute of our life are now secured in the resurrection of Christ. Because the resurrection vindicates the cross and when those promises were actually purchased for you and for me. You see, the truth is that everything hinges on the reality of the resurrection. If it didn't happen, Christianity is a sham. It's no good. That's the exact reason what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians. He's saying if Christ hasn't been raised, our gospel is in vain. Your faith is in vain. The things we talk about is are in vain. The things that I'm saying right now are in vain. We might as well just eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we're going to die. If you look at Paul, who wrote a good portion of the, the New Testament, he puts all of his eggs in this basket. He says if it didn't happen physically, bodily, permanently, then Christianity is a sham. We might as well just all pack it up. We might as well just go home and be gluttons in every area of our lives because there is no hope in this world without the resurrection. You see, the implication of Easter are simply staggering. They're, they're personal. They're precious for every day's life struggle. 
they're global. I don't want to say they're even galactic. Right? Like, you see, if sin, if, if sin is defeated, and all of brokenness and death and destruction has been defeated, the things that have caused all the brokenness in this world, as we know it, the resurrection now guarantees that the world will actually be made over again. That, that, that this, is, this is going to be all new. God's promised us that. In Romans 8, he says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that we built that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Creation's waiting. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What this means is basically when the freedom of the glory of of the children of God comes to pass, when we're raised from the dead and when we're given glorified bodies and Jesus returns, the whole creation is getting remade over. It's going to be way better makeover than any like HDTV show that we've ever watched. I've watched plenty of them in my house. The galaxy is going to get remade as as a suitable galactic playground for those of us who've actually been given new bodies and who've been risen with Christ and who will never sin again, who will never get sick again, and we'll, and we'll get to enjoy all of God's creation for all eternity. You see, the resurrection, Jesus is screaming at you and me, I love you, I love you, I love you, I freely love you. You see, the depth of Jesus' love is actually seen in the lavish display. It's, it's not just... It's not just seen in in his generosity towards undeserving people, but it's in its freedom. You see, Jesus was not constrained to love us. It was actually his joy to love us. It's what what he means when he says, I lay down my life and no one takes it from me. I am freely giving you my love. You see, the depth of someone's love is, is not just seen by how much pain it cost. Or, or how, how undeserving that person may be, or even how great the gift is. The depth of love is seen in how freely it is given. You can think about it this way. If, if someone is doing something good for you, do you feel more loved if they're doing it begrudgingly or they're doing it gladly? If they're doing it willingly or just because they have to? In other words, if, if the good thing they're doing for you is actually constrained, it's because they have to. They don't really want to do it, but they're going to do it anyway because there's pressure to them to do it. That's not really love. Love is revealed in freedom, and freedom always results in joy. When we freely love someone, it's our joy to give to them and to help them all that we have to make sure that we ensure that they're cared for. Hebrews 12 says it this way, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus rejoiced in doing his redeeming work for us. The physical pain of the cross didn't become physical pleasure for him. That's not what he's saying. But Jesus was sustained through it by joy as he freely loves us. 
Because Jesus really, 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 really wanted to save us. Jesus wanted to gather us as a happy, holy, praising family. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is really gives us a, a confirmation of evidence that he was free in actually in laying down his life. The resurrection is, is Christ's testimony to the freedom of his love. Jesus rising from the dead, really what he's doing, he's saying, I meant it. I meant what I said. I was free. You see how free I am? I had the, you see how much power and authority that I have? I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to take up my life out of the grave. And if I could do that, don't you think I could have easily devastated my enemies and escaped the cross? But at the resurrection, Jesus is saying, it's a shout of my love over my people that it was actually free. I was free to do it. I chose it. I embraced it. I was not caught. I was not cornered. Nothing constrained me to do it. I did what I chose to do. I have the power to take my life and I have the power to raise my life back up from the dead. And now I am alive to show you that I actually truly loved you, that I freely loved you, that no one forced me to do it. And now I'm going to spend the rest of eternity with you within my resurrection, revealing my love to you for over, forever and ever and ever. Basically, Jesus is saying, he's saying, come and see me for who I am. All of you who see your need of me, who see your brokenness, who see your sin, who see your need for a savior, I will forgive you. I will accept you. I will love you. I will care for you in my heart forever and ever more. You see, I think Jesus really understands where our hearts want to run. Our hearts as humans want to doubt Jesus' love for us. It's why he, he said, we, we, want to, we, want to, we want to have this idea just like in the garden, right? Where, where we listen to the voices tell us and question God's love for us. Does God really love you? Did he really say that? Is he holding out on you? Is he not giving you what you want? Does he really have your best interest at heart? Jesus doesn't really love you. He's a mercenary. He's in it for some other reason than love. He's under some kind of constraint. There's some kind of external compulsion. He didn't really want to die for you. Somehow, in eternity past, in the Trinity, he like pulled the wrong straw and like he's got himself into this job now and, and he has to submit to the forces that are controlling him. He doesn't really love you. I want to say Jesus kind of seems to hear that, to anticipate it, and he responds. And he says, no one can take my life from me. I lay it down on my own initiative. I think it's why he stresses this point, because if it weren't true, if his death was forced upon him, if it wasn't free, if his heart wasn't really in it, then the big question mark would be put over our lives, does he really love us? If he didn't do it willingly, if he didn't choose the suffering and embrace it, how deep is his love really for us? The depth of his love is actually in his freedom. And so he makes it explicit. No one can take my life from me. Literally, no one can take myself. It comes out of me. 
Not out of circumstances, not out of pressure, not out of anything else, but what I actually truly long to do. To defeat death so you and I can now have life. Since the very first times of lies about depth of God's love, humans believed it. And since that time, God had been promising His love. He'd been promising a lifeline of hope for all of us, every human being under the human uh, living death penalty. And in many promises, simply seemed too good to be true. If you read through the Bible, there's a bunch of stuff in there that seems way too good to be true. Until Jesus rises from the And suddenly what seemed impossible for man was now wonderfully possible and guaranteed by God. Jesus rose from the dead to prove that all the Old Testament prophecies and warnings were actually true from God. In a sense, Jesus purchased all of the promises in that moment. And Jesus rose to prove that he would one day judge all the sins. That every sin that has been committed, every sin committed by us, against us, brings God's character into question. Right? Will justice actually prevail? Will we be wiped away and thrown into hell? And when Jesus rose from the dead, He made it very clear that every sin would actually be punished. On the cross for those who repent and in judgment for all who refuse to believe. See, the reality is that your and my sin to bondage is great. Our bondage to sin is great. But God really can set you free. God can set you free. And Jesus rose to prove that the reality that you can be saved from your sins. That you and I actually do deserve judgment. But He gives us salvation. Something that you and I could never achieve. Not in our own strength, not in our own resolve. Sin mercifully enslaves us to death. But Jesus rose to cancel our death, to nail it to the cross, setting us free and giving us hope. It's why Jesus didn't... um, It's why this idea, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we would have no hope. Hope would have been laying in the tomb still. But Jesus is not dead. And therefore we have hope because Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. He's risen. He's risen. He's risen. You see, the good news of the resurrection proves that He will actually eventually return and make all things right. If you go over um, and think about this last year of your life, the last year of this world, It's just another year of hard evidence that this world is broken. 20 years ago was Columbine this weekend. The world is broken. And it's breaking even more every day. Easter is a statement of hope that Jesus is alive, that one day this world will be rid of sin. And all of its causes, and all of its consequences, and all of its brokenness. And God, in His wise and loving plan, He will restore and redeem all of the brokenness. 
There is no evil in the present. There's no evil in the past. There's no evil in the future that can actually disrupt God's good plan for his children. The death of Jesus looked like the greatest single defeat of God's people that they would ever experience. Instead of ascending to the throne and conquering the enemies, the promised king had been humiliated and crucified. But in that precise moment, when it looked like all evil had won, God was flipping the script and he was taking on the greatest victory ever. You see, the resurrection declares that God is actually sovereign, even over the worst evil in the world. The pivot of all of history, Jesus freely inserted love and hope and and ultimate satisfaction for all of his family. That's really good news, that he is actually free, free, Jesus is risen, and he freely loves you. He freely offers you hope. He freely offers you life. I want to say to you this morning, don't waste your time trying to keep him in the grave. It's futile. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked. No one has been able to do it, and no one will be able to do it because he's already risen and he's out of there. He's gone. She's gone, right? She's gone, right? You need to let the resurrection, the ramifications of the resurrection. I wasn't going to say that today, but I just came out. Um, I was going to say this, though. You need to let the ramifications of the resurrection reign in your life. Reign in your life right now and for all eternity. Because the resurrection can change any brokenness, any heartache, any hurt, anything that you think is too hard for anyone to accomplish. The resurrection proves that God has the sovereign power to take what is broken, what is when it seems all is lost, and bring great hope and resurrection and life into the world. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that... Um, that Jesus did not stay in the grave. That the things that we just talked about are actually a reality. And that they're way more than what I've even said. That I can't even scratch the surface in explaining how amazing your resurrection is. Father, I pray that we would be people that truly believe that. That we would be people that would look into the dark places of this world for you to do the work that only you can do. Father, I pray that we be people that live in light of the resurrection in every moment of our lives. Father, I pray that you would keep us from trying to put you back in the grave. Father, we thank you that today is a day that we get to to stop and celebrate that But Father, I pray that this day of Easter would not just be a one-day event in our life, but that it would be a reality every day in our life, that we would live in truth that you are risen from the grave. Father, we thank you that those words are true, that he has risen. He has risen indeed. Amen.